What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. everybody back to the show to our soft sell opening and relaunch of TLFR for 2015. We have got a lot planned for the rest of the year and we're still planning it. We are still climbing that mountain, but thank you for joining us for another great broadcast. We have got a lot on the calendar. We have got a lot on the list of things to talk about uh, and we're going to get to that, but first I want to welcome back to the show out of all his long winter hiatus too and welcome thomas where are you i'm right here leticia i want to say i just want to say glad to be back on the show and let's get this show started with our scripture deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19 says i record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed may live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God, we are thankful for another opportunity to host another broadcast of True Life Friday's radio, Father God, here on the BTR Radio Networks and True Radio. Father, we thank you for just giving us the message of life that we may take this to the airwaves 
and take it to those individuals who need to have and need to hear the message for such a time as this. We ask that you would bless the show, Tisha, and just continue to give her the wisdom and the strength as she goes about doing what it is that you called her to do. In the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Man, Thomas, you make it sound like I haven't got an idea what I'm supposed to do with myself. And you you really actually might not be far from the truth there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what you're doing. So, you know. (laughs) Do I? Do I really? (laughs) Yes, yes, you do. Sometimes I wonder. Well, sometimes I wonder, too. You know, we got to. We got some big things coming up. It's really exciting. Uh, April 14th, we got a big interview, a special Tuesday edition of True Life Friday's radio. And so, you know, we won't let the cat out of the bag just yet, but that's going to be an exciting event. And I know that you've planned on having some series events Because, you know, there's still these idiots, excuse my term, folks, but there was a lady, and I posted about her on my Facebook page, who basically said she felt ashamed because she was white and that if she could turn her skin inside out, it would make her feel better, or if she could be one of the oppressed, then she would be free. And Somebody when I, I post that? Yes, it's on my Facebook page. I don't have my computer in front of me. But I had a few friends that actually pointed out to me something that was very obvious. And I, and actually, if the woman who said that would have thought about it, but radical feminists never think. So that oh. that idea went out the window <laughs> right there. So she would have realized that she was saying, I am superior to you. That's why I feel guilty. But she didn't catch that. And it took some awesome conservative women that I know who commented on my page. And I I basically said, you know, people of, not all people of color want nor need your sympathy because you feel good because you don't feel good about yourself and that's how that's how I think about it but that's a topic that we're going to retouch on because you and I have already talked about that but that's going to be an issue that we're going to that we're going to if we can we're going to drive we're going to drive a stake straight through the heart of that issue Absolutely. It's a it's a pro-life issue, just like everything else we talk about. There is a pro-life angle to most of the things that happen in the news. Um, it takes right. a it takes a show like that to bring that out into the open. And a lot of people just take issues of 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 life or death as merely politics. And a lot of times it's a lot deeper than that. And people don't realize it. It is. It really is. And so <clears throat> when people think about the life issue, they just want to, they equate it to abortion and anti-abortion. But the whole life issue encompasses a entire spectrum of issues. And I think we carry them, we've covered, carried them all. Oh, by the way, on just a little incidental side note, President Obama decides to call Iran and ask for um, a, what is it? He asked for the release of Pastor Saeed Abedini four years right, after right. the fact, mind you. I guess yeah. it's better late than never. Hey, Letitia, um, 
we have a listener, Miss Judah Myers, who's wanting you to open up the chat room if oh. you can. So, Certainly, Miss. Because Judah, we we got you coming up, and um, I'm not on my computer. I'm just I'm calling on my phone because I'm gonna have to drop off here in about five minutes and listen to the rest of the show on mute. But but yeah, we <laughs> we cover the wide variety of spectrums. And oh, by the way, another show that is getting relaunched as well, April 1st at noontime. Consider this with Judah Myers and um, um, Pam Kaler Bohal, and it's a phenomenal show. It is, Letitia, you and I both know Judah, and the issue that she covers is also near and dear to our heart you know, the rape mm-hmm. conceived. So for those yep. of you who are listening live and may listen in archives later, look for that show on BTR. Make sure you listen because it is something. In fact, her first topic, human sex trafficking. So it's a phenomenal show, folks, and you don't want to miss it. So... Absolutely, and and how the, the sex trafficking is very much a pro-life issue, um, yes, and it as is. we have we've explained many times in the course of the last two to three years that all of these things are pro-life issues: sex trafficking, slavery, abortion, issues of war, religious persecution, and sexual uh, re- reproductive technology. Is all uh, they are all umbrellaed under the term pro-life. The question is, right. how are you going to how how is anybody supposed to look at those issues through pro-life eyes? And that's what we are primarily interested in. Uh, so right. I, you know, this we are going to return to talk talking about sex trafficking. I am so glad that so many people are talking about it. It's almost it's almost Faddish. I I don't want to say that in a negative way because I'm so glad sex trafficking is getting the attention that it should. And mind you, I was interested in promoting um, this as an issue for for society to deal with long before it became a fad. Right. And uh, but for some reason, if a if an evangelical Christian stands up on a soapbox and yells and you know, screams about it, nobody wants to listen. But suddenly, you get some hipster. Uh, waving his Starbucks coffee, and suddenly it's a thing. Right. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of Starbucks, good segue before I take off. Speaking of star- Starbucks, what's with Starbucks playing a race card among a bunch of a uh, bunch of lily white liberals who don't really have anything to do with black people? Because as you know, there are no Starbucks in any inner city urban. American jurisdictions. Well, let's just say there are very few. There are very few. Um, somebody's going to find some Starbucks somewhere um, with enhanced security and uh, and a lot of <laughs> concessions to get there. Um, there are. Let's just say there aren't. It's not true to say there are none, but there are very, very few. Well, okay, very few. I stand corrected. But you know, but, but living you know, here in St. Louis, I can tell you that. What you said about St. Louis is certainly true. There are zero Starbucks in any inner city, predominantly black neighborhood. Zero. Right. I'll tell you for that for a fact. Here in St. Louis. Well, folks, I'm glad I gotta take off. Listen on mute because they called my name. But right. once I get done, I will check back in. I'll still be on mute, Letitia. So okay. and Judah, love you. God bless you, and thanks for listening to the show. I can hear her say thank you. Oh, see you later, Thomas. <laughs> yep. And and that's our, that's that's Thomas, uh, my awesome co-host. I am so thankful every day that I have him on the air with me. It's so much easier to run a show with somebody to talk to rather than talking to the airwaves 
all quiet out there um, unless I have somebody to hear me and give me that feedback right away. It feels a little lonely. But getting back to the subject at hand, um, Thomas brought up a really good um, topic that we are going to talk about more. And, in fact, I had planned to talk about it just a little bit today, um, just earlier this week. Speaking of sex trafficking, um, a major sex trafficking bill was rejected by the Senate in up on Capitol Hill, not once, not twice, but for the third time. Now, this is a bill that I've read about uh, pretty extensively. And the, and the crux of the issue, the, the real core of the bill is the – the Senate wants this bill to address um, the sex trafficking that is going on in the country. Now, understand, sex trafficking, human trafficking, trading in human bodies, dead or alive, is already against the law. So nobody needs to say, let's make a law. You know, let's make a law that we're going to outlaw this practice. It is already against the law. But this bill... In particular, um, wants to address the actual practice and what what the opposition to this bill, which is predominantly Democrats in the Senate, the same people. Yeah, aren't these the same people who like you and like who who want you, who like want you to think of them as pro women, compassionate? Uh, freedom for all, we're against everything that's nasty in the world, we just want to help people type of liberal Democrats, those are the people that are rejecting this bill right now. And why they did it is because it doesn't provide funding for abortion. Mind you, the federal government has never officially funded, and I say officially, officially funded abortion on the taxpayer's dime. It's not supposed to. It's not supposed to. It's called the Hyde Amendment. And as much as Nancy Pelosi and other Republicans, uh, Repu- not Republicans, and other um, representatives and senators want to repeal it and say it's outdated, it's a couple decades old now, It's not going away because people have a conscience about these things. Public funds should not be used to procure abortion for someone else. I will stand by my statement that I've always stood by, that if I did not make a woman pregnant, I should not have to pay for her abortion. And neither should you. But way to go, blocking a bill that is supposed to help victims of sex trafficking on the basis that it won't fund abortions. Who is behind this opposition besides Democrats? Oh, your local, friendly, neighborhood planned parenthood. Yes. Planned Parenthood has never supported a bill that has helped women truly. And this is the finest example of them opposing a measure that would actually help address a problem. A criminal problem, not just a criminal problem, but a moral problem, and a problem with actual health and choices and well-being of women. And they have never supported something like that if it didn't expand their power and their ability and their funding to do abortions. How wonderful is that? You know, I'm all in support you know, every time I say their name, I feel like I'm giving them some kind of free advertising. It's it's an evil that I can't avoid. I'm sorry. I can't avoid it. But what it is that I want to do is help local pro-life ministries, pregnancy resource centers, wage the ultimate war against Margaret Sanger's baby, ironically enough, doing a complete... 180 on their name recognition. So right here, right now, I'd love for our audience to help me and help us in that TLFR's effort to make 
Planned Parenthood unthinkable. Planned Parenthood has existed for decades upon decades upon decades, building a name for itself. And it is the number one uh, name on everybody's list when a woman gets pregnant. When a woman gets pregnant and has a has an unplanned pregnancy or unscheduled pregnancy or however you'd like to put it, it's a pregnancy she did not expect to have, and wants options to what to do with it, namely, how do I take care of this if this is a problem, the first name on everyone's list is Planned Parenthood. It goes for men as well as women. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is 90% of the problem. 90% of the problem is Planned Parenthood is a household name. Who's going to help me out there try to overturn that, replace them, their name, in the phone books and their ads, put the bigger ad for a pregnancy resource center, a maternity home, a ministry from a church, whatever it is out there, local to your area, completely out eclipse, completely eclipse them and find a different name. So out here in St. Louis, it's going to be perhaps Thrive. Thrive, our pregnancy resource center. Thrive has, I think, about five offices in the St. Louis area. They are also going national. They are exporting their model of helping women and obtaining resources, obtaining their ultrasound, mobile ultrasound units and mobile ultrasound clinics to try to outdo what Planned Parenthood is doing. Will you help me with that? Will you help promote your local pregnancy resource center, your pregnancy center, to become bigger in your area than Planned Parenthood itself? If you ha- or any abortion clinic that's there. If you see a billboard for an abortion clinic, find a way to get that billboard replaced with something that has a pro-life message on it. We are trying very hard to get the public to think differently about who to turn to when women are in a situation where they have a pregnancy and they don't know what to do. These are feet-on-the-ground needs that we have. And there is something that you, as a person, sitting at home, in your car, wherever you are, in front of your computer, it doesn't even matter, can do something about And speaking of which, other things that you can do is you can get involved. Now, I happen to be living probably in the most blessed city in the United States when it comes to pro-life advocacy. I will be the first to tell you I am so blessed. I I have, it's just raining blessings on me. I'm not bragging. Yes, I am, but it's a good kind of brag. I am not bragging about me. I'm bragging about what's happening here. And there is something very special about where I happen to live right now. And God comfort me on the day I have to move somewhere else because I'm going to leave this behind. But God also prepare me to carry it wherever I go. And that is the the thing here that St. Louis is probably the most pro-life city in the nation. We have so many people who are ardently at advocating for life. Life-affirming ministries are growing out of our ears, and that is awesome. Firming people are coming out of the woodwork, and that is awesome. We have no less than three pro-life conferences taking place here in St. Louis in the month of, months of March and April. And I will talk about those a little bit um, after our interview, after my interview with Doug Murky, who is president and CEO of Churches for Life. He's actually going to be telling us about one of the conferences that I will be attending, um, the annual leader, uh, what is it, Life Team Summit conference. 
there's just one of several. If you have a chance to go and attend something, if you are with, wanting to get your feet wet, you want to learn about what it is to be an effective advocate for a life-affirming ministry, effective advocate for women truly, and their children truly, and to affirm life and affirm all that is good and right in the world, and you live close enough to St. Louis to come, and I would encourage you to make your presence known because we need every everybody. If you've got hands and feet, you are ready to get involved because you will never find more kindred spirits than you do here in St. Louis, more support than you do in here in St. Louis. And, you know, I can vouch for that fact myself because I have been blessed beyond measure with so much support for True Life Fridays Radio, for speaking to students about the reasons they ought to have a pro-life ethic, and for convincing people running for office, politicians, uh, people who work in the medical community, and with people who are willing to listen and become advocates for women truly. Do I do I experience opposition absolutely? Absolutely. I I can just tell you that my mind was consumed in the month of January and February with dealing with it was something very close to me and I had a very important conversation with somebody I thought was uh was frankly claimed to be pro-life. But turns out is not so much. When the rubber meets the road and you ask about specifics and you talk about actually helping women in difficult situations, you will find surprisingly that pro-life actually doesn't mean pro-life to a whole lot of people. It's really, uh, it's quite sad. And so far, you know, there has been no meeting of the minds there. There's been no effort to understand the pro-life position other than, well, you're just kind of judgmental. Uh, we don't want to be judgmental like that. I don't want to be judgmental like that. And without understanding that the pro-life position is not judging people at all, it is trying to save lives. Not any different than if I were to find somebody, play, find a toddler playing in the street and has no idea that there's traffic in both ways, and I'm yelling to come, to to try to get in between uh, danger and this child, and those efforts aren't appreciated. And just like that, I don't really care. I don't really care about people honking their horns at me. I don't really care about negative comments. I don't really care about how crazy it looks to run into traffic and try to save somebody's life. What I care about is if somebody's life is saved. I just um, read a message from a friend of mine this morning who says that she knows a woman who's been having an affair with a married man, and now she's pregnant and she's considering abortion because the child is exceptionally inconvenient. And so I don't want to hear from a lot of people, well, what about the issue of rape? What if the person is, what if the woman has been raped? Or what if the woman has been, has been a victim of incest or uh, is poor? The truth of the matter is a child who is conceived in rape is no different from a child who is conceived in fun. But the child who is conceived in rape just happens to have circumstances, to, to exist in circumstances that are just simply way, 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 way more inconvenient than the child conceived in fun. And there are very few people in this country today who find a, a reason a justifiable reason for a child to be aborted simply because two consenting adults made a mistake. Very few people in this country who would give abortion on demand 
the kind of free reign that a lot of pro-abortion advocates or abortion advocates want. Very few people would go that far. And so the end of the other end of the spectrum for the child who is conceived in rape is really only a matter of degrees different. And I want people to understand that. The child in the womb doesn't know how he or she came to be, doesn't know who's doesn't know his father or her father is a rapist and shouldn't have to pay the price for circumstances that they didn't create. Any more than the child who was created at the indiscretions of two consenting adults who are lying to each other and to their families. And that's that. It's as simple as that. I don't want to hear objections like that because they are not real objections. When it comes down to the fact of who are we protecting with our laws and with our reasoning and with our compassion, the pro-life position seeks to protect everybody who's innocent and fix responsibility on those that are responsible. And the one least in control and has the least amount of power in the situation, if you want to talk about power in a liberal sense, is the child in the womb. The child in the womb has no voice in the conversation. But it is the child in the womb that usually pays for other people's mistakes with his or her life. And that... That is why True Life Fridays exist, to talk about that situation and every other situation where people come into the same circumstance. It is the use and abuse of somebody who hasn't even stepped a foot or breathed air in this world outside the womb yet. Yet we are judging them and confining them, consigning them to a very short life based on how useful we think that person is or how desirable that person is. Not much different than if that person has a certain shade of skin and we try to assess how useful or desirable that person is in this world so that we can keep them around to do things for us. It's not much different. But okay, I promised you an interview. I will give you an interview. I'm going to talk to Doug Murky. Um, and I was so thrilled. He called me earlier um, a couple of weeks ago and scheduled this interview. Uh, he had said that this is going to be a revolutionary way of thinking about churches and how life teams can be created in churches to promote the the pro-life ethic and goodness do we need that i can tell you how much this is needed i cannot tell you that i read headlines every day many of them talking about how whichever christian denomination you know who it is you know which one it is has abandoned protecting life And they've made it official that they will not protect life. It is so sad that we look at life, even as professing believers, these are church denominations, professing believers, that we all look at life and with such prejudice, we want to tear people. Those that are more, the most worthy to those that are least worthy. That isn't the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. That isn't the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. And Jesus did not die for only a segment of the world. Based on class, race, gender, yeah, how elite you are. And, and it's hard. It's getting harder for churches to become more openly pro-life because the media and 
um, society looks down on strongly pro-life positions. Society may be pro-life itself and may not approve of abortion, but they also yet do not approve of people being vocally pro-life. And that is an issue. How do you defend life without talking about life? I don't know. You at least have to talk about it. So here's Doug Murky. Um, he, I have come to really respect this man. He has poured so much time into thinking about how we are to help people and how we're going to help churches. And so he and I sat down for this interview. I hope it comes in through clearly. And um, I hope you learn a lot because I really, I really learn a lot from him. So I'm on the air with Doug Murky. He is from Churches for Life. And please tell us a little bit about what Churches for Life is, what do you do, and how Churches for Life is impacting the pro-life community. All right. Well, it's good to be here, Letitia. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, Churches for Life started in 2008 uh, for three around three central passions, which I think a lot of people in your audience can relate to, especially pastors. Uh, first passion is for the gospel itself, which we frame as a message of rescue. Uh, second passion is for the local church, seeing the local church strong and healthy. And third passion is to rescue people. So Churches for Life um, was launched to try to unite those three passions. In other words, to help local churches enjoy and live out the gospel to rescue people. And um, our unique focus is in connecting those three things to guard us against what, you know, typically turns off a lot of pastors or makes makes life ministry very difficult in churches because uh, a lot of times in churches we experience and see that uh, the life issue is connected primarily to politics or anger or activism yes. or... Um, or even just a single facet issue like anti-abortion or ending abortion. And so by taking the perspective of those three passions, the gospel, the local church, and rescuing people, uh, we we think we focus churches in a more probably healthy, uh, holistic way. And uh, it starts, it all starts with uh, the basic and main idea that unites churches and compels us that's uniquely christian and that is the gospel and again we would we would just uh uh basically uh, promote and assume that the gospel is the most powerful life-affirming message in the universe it's my friend dr lamb at lutherans for life likes to say that and uh, i agree with him and so when we think about life issues, we bring it back to the gospel and say, well, why are we life-affirming? Well, yeah, I mean, babies are being harmed and even killed, and others are being harmed and uh, in various ways. But the main reason that as Christians we pursue a life-affirming uh, road is because we were in peril because of our sin. And Jesus Christ, in his great mercy and love, in the gospel, sought us to rescue us. And when the human heart is captivated with the beauty of God as he reveals himself in the gospel, we're then motivated to live that out with joy and gratitude toward all kinds of people that are in peril, not just the unborn. And that leads to a, a clean, a humble, not an angry or arrogant, but a humble, clean, joyful and consistent motive for us in ministry. So that's our unique approach to equipping churches, uh, kind of the underlying philosophy of it. Mm -hmm. Our ministry is a national ministry. Uh, we're headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, but uh, we we have uh, ministry in all kinds of states across the country, and we continue to expand. The way that we expand and the way that we equip churches, I share the philosophy underneath it, but the way we equip churches is we help them build what we call a life team, a life team. And a life team is like any other trusted ministry team in a church. Uh, think, for example, of a missions team or a servant team or a mercy team or the children's ministry team. You know, these teams uh, have a lot of things in common, and one of the main things is they're trusted. They're a group of people in a church that are trusted. They have the support of the church leaders because they're trusted. 
oftentimes they're also resourced. They're given a budget. They're given the freedom and flexibility to equip and serve their church in their area of ministry. So our contention is, is that anything of lasting value that happens in a church requires a team of people that are trusted and trained and resourced. Often when we run into uh, life-affirming people in churches, they're just kind of lone rangers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they don't even have a very good relationship with their pastor or their leaders. And this can be hard for pastors because pastors encounter these people and they can understandably at times, not always, not always, but understandably at times be hesitant to give that person um, exposure or give them the microphone. So that's a problem that a life team is designed to solve because life teams, what we do is we actually train people to be on a team called a life team. We actually train a life team leader. And in so doing, we help a church build a ministry team uh, that's called a life team. Now, that life team then, now that they have the trust of the pastoral leadership, uh, are able to carefully, over the long term, equip that church to enjoy and express the gospel in the life arena. This is typically a huge, huge relief and joy for pastors because um the pastor now has a team of people he trusts to serve him and the church in ministry. Again, another reason a lot of pastors shy away from life issues is not only the polarizing nature of life issues or the uh, scary nature of people sometimes that work in the life arena, but the uh, benefit of a life team is that here's a group of people that uh, serves the pastor. The pastor no longer has to carry the entire burden for championing life in his church. Sometimes I find a scenario like this. Let's say you have a pastor who's very uh, enthusiastic about life, the life issue, and all of its facets. Let's just say that pastor wants to preach a sermon applying the gospel uh, to abortion and to men and women who've had an abortion in the congregation. And because uh, the gospel is the is the message of healing and forgiveness, for anyone who's had an abortion. But that pastor might be hesitant to preach that sermon because if he is all by himself Mm. and he preaches that sermon and it just so happens that the Holy Spirit shows up on Sunday morning, actually shows up and attends to his sermon, and this pastor's preaching, and let's just say 30 women and men in the congregation are convicted They've had abortions or known someone that has an abortion. And so now that pastor is going to face up to 30 phone calls waiting for him or emails on Monday morning. And he will be completely overwhelmed to try to minister the gospel to those hurting people. So you could understand why a pastor might be hesitant to preach because he's all by himself. He has no help, but a life team solves that problem. A life team helps the pastor, gives the pastor freedom to preach and lead the way he's been called to lead because the life team exists to support the pastor. For example, in that scenario, a life team might work with the pastor before that sermon, and the life team might work it out to have a, a, a confidential phone number printed in the bulletin. The life team might work it out to organize and have a man or a woman give a testimony in worship that day, someone who's had an abortion and has experienced the healing of the gospel. So in these ways, a life team helps support the pastor in the church. And when churches have healthy life teams, it is amazing what churches do and how they're equipped to enjoy and live out the gospel in all kinds of ways in the life arena. So if you go to our website at getintolife.org, Uh, There's really, really simple ways to find out how a church can get started exploring what this thing called a life team is. It's a new-ish concept. It's not a concept you hear about a lot. So our website is brand new, actually, and it's been redesigned to make that really simple to ask and find the answer to the question, huh, what is a life team? That's very interesting. How do I get started? What does it look like? So Get Into Life is our website. Great. Um, I'm very encouraged to hear that um, so much attention has been paid to answering 
um, the difficulties or addressing the difficulties pastors have and sometimes the difficult relationship between pastors and their church members and trying to smooth that out and looking for peace and bringing people together. Um, I have one more difficult question for you on that line, which is how do you handle the thought that as Christians, as Christians in particular, we shouldn't tell others what to believe or how to live outside of believe in Jesus or the gospel message. And they do mean particularly, let's not talk about abortion. We can't convince people uh, to take up a more life-affirming cause until they become believers in Jesus. Yeah, I, if I understand your question correctly, it's it has to do with, you know, should, do we have a role and should we uh, speak into the public square about the truth, God's truth for life? Should we do that or not? Yeah, if so, how absolutely. do we do it? Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question, and I think it's a hard question only because uh, the way that Christians at times in the past have spoken into the public square has maybe been less than ideal. Mm. But um, there's a there's one Latin phrase I learned in seminary which I really love. It's uh, abusus non tollet usum, which means uh, improper use or abuse does not forbid proper use. And for example, on um, on TV we see men and women maligning the Bible all the time, right? Sure. We see them, they see them preaching using it incorrectly. Yes. But but I haven't thrown my Bible out. In other words, the abuse of the Bible does not keep me from properly using the Bible. So I guess I'd encourage listeners um, with the idea that uh, irregardless of the public's response, we have a, um, a responsibility and actually a privilege to continue to shine God's light into the public square. And one of the things that helps us do that well is when we are subdued ourselves by the gospel and we contemplate how God shares his truth with us. And when we stop and consider that just for a moment, we realize a few things immediately, a few wonderful things. One is, is that for we Christians, we realize that God did share his truth with us. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that he wasn't, he wasn't silent. He did reveal truth to us. But then when we, we think more deeply about it, we realize how gentle and kind and condescending and patient and sweet God has been and still is in sharing his truth with us. God does not hit us in the head with a two-by-four. He does bring conviction, that's for sure. But when you think about how slow, how much God slowed down how small God made himself in mm. becoming a man, that that helps us think through how we then, uh, filled with gratitude for what God's done, how we share the truth with others. So to me, again, it brings it back to the gospel. The obvious answer to sharing the truth in the public square is, sure, yeah, no doubt, absolutely. We must share the truth, a God's truth, with our culture about life and many other things. I think maybe the deeper and probably more important question is, how do we do that? And in my mind, the gospel and our captivation with the God who came to us in the gospel, that's what changes the whole scene on how we share it, share truth with others. Awesome. Which yeah. segues perfectly into uh, talking about the event that you have coming up on April 11th. Tell us what that is and what you'll be talking about during that event. Yeah, thanks. Um, You know, in a nutshell, it's called the Summit, and it is basically inspiration and information for anyone who champions the sanctity of human life. And one of the driving reasons behind this summit is the recognition that to champion life, to speak the truth of God, carefully and graciously in our churches and in our culture, that's tough. I mean, it it's hard to do that, <laughs> even if you do it well. Yes. And uh, you get weary, and it's tiring, and uh, this is no shock and surprise. It's normal. 
So the summit, uh, in one for one reason we launched the summit is because we want people to be refreshed and rejuvenated and uh, to get rejuvenated in a number of ways, first of all, and primarily by being reminded who God is and what he's like toward us in the gospel. A lot of times in the life arena, we get so fixated on um, the score. Are we winning? Are we losing? Are we gaining ground? Are we losing ground? And certainly those are those there's importance in keeping track of that. However, for us as Christians, the supreme and transcendent truth that should be regulating the joy of our hearts is really one thing and one thing only, and it's not our results. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, Amen. that he has paid the penalty for our sin and declared us righteous in Christ. And that is a main message at the summit to remind us that, hey, yes, we want to we want to gain ground. We want to accomplish things. However, let's not fall into the trap of thinking that our value as persons, that the joy of our hearts depends on results. Let's revisit this gospel and reconnect with who God says that we are, irregardless of our results and performance, who he says we are based on his performance for us in his life, death, and resurrection. So that's one of the main purposes of the summit. Now, another main purpose is just to give uh, champions of life some expert information and guidance in how they can equip their churches in the life arena. Now, again, these workshops and uh, the, the elements of the summit are not so much built around how do we speak into the public square, because our ministry, Churches for Life, is built around how to train Christians to speak into and to train other Christians, namely their churches. And so the Life Team Summit covers a number of topics. We have a bunch of wonderful expert speakers coming in to help train us. Hey, here's here's some ways that you can equip people in your church to champion life. The unique audience here being people in your church. So we have a holistic view of uh, life. We, our view is, is that when, when, uh, when and wherever anybody, any human being is being abused or uh, put in peril or is being made vulnerable, that that's something that the gospel addresses. And, of course, one of the main categories of people that fit that description are the unborn. No doubt about it. Right. So we have a we have a workshop. Dr. Gibbs, a good friend from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, is um, going to talk about how do we make train people in our churches to make abortion unthinkable. And that's an apologetics course. It, it originates with a, a group called Stand to Reason, and Jeff borrows and acknowledges the value of some of those principles from that apologetics class. I'm going to do a leadership tune-up. Um, so if you're a leader in the life arena or you interested in being a leader, um, very, very important how we lead and how we do that in the joy of the gospel. So that's a leadership tune-up. And that's that's so important, Letitia, I think, for, for our audience to understand is that leadership is the critical is the critical aspect in really most things, and in this case, in the battle for life. Right. And and by for leaders you mean pastors, ministry leaders, church Correct. leaders? Okay. Yeah. Great. Anyone anyone who's a leader because again our ministry is a team and leader training ministry. So I'm going to be doing that. Uh we'll have someone talk about how to how to help your church end sex trafficking. And uh this person is uh someone who works with an agency here in St. Louis. And this is all that they do. They work in this area of life. And we're including that this year in the summit because, again, uh, when men and women, especially women, are uh, kind of trapped in a sex trafficking situation, it's the degradation of humanity. It's the degradation and the putting people in peril in any number of ways. Of course, it can lead to death, but even if it does not lead to death, it is uh it is just an awful a horrible slight and slander against the beauty of God in the image of man. Exactly. 
And so that's why that's included here. Um, we have another couple, a person doing a special workshop on how to help students, especially high school and middle school students. How can we help them to begin in our churches, youth group students, for example, how can we help them to begin to think about the gospel and how it applies to life, life issues, everything from sexuality to pregnancy to abortion to pornography, all those kinds of things. Students face unique pressures, and this workshop's designed to address that. That's we have someone fabulous. from. That's, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how excited I am to hear that because we have, you know, youth programs and youth groups in so many churches, and um, yet the teenage problem of um, teenage pregnancy, you know, while abortions nationwide have gone down, the pregnancy rate actually hasn't changed all that much. Right. And um, and I would love to see what's missing. What I felt is missing is a is a core ethic that teenagers can understand about why um, you know reproduction happens not on a biological level, but why they ought to look at this as something that needs to be confined to the context of marriage, and that mm. um, the, it's aside from saying they need to wait, um, they need to move toward being married people, adults, before they engage in in sex so that it can be fulfilling for them, not just uh, as an activity that they need to skirt around their parents from, you know. Right. Yep. Amen. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what really excites me about that workshop, too, is uh, our own staff person, Dr. Faust, um, who's worked as a principal in, in public high schools most of her life, and she's fantastic. But the, the, the real unique thing about that workshop is to expose people in the workshop to how they can equip students in the joy of the gospel. So much of how we equip students is law-based or fear-based. Mm. Like, don't have sex because you might get an STD. Right. Well, that's true. But the problem biblically with that is the law has no power. There's no power in the law to change the heart. And only the gospel can change a student's heart. What we want is we want students joyfully from the heart, not just because of fear, but from the heart to uh, serve Christ and live holy lives. Amen. And this and amen, I'm going to have to cut that interview a little bit short because we are running out of time for this episode. And I wanted to encourage everybody, to, if you are in the St. Louis area, or if you're willing to come to the St. Louis area, come to this Churches for Life Life Team Summit. It is April 11th, 2015. You can get in still at the early bird discount, which is 50% off. You're not going to want to miss that. You need to go to getintolife.org. And sign up and register right now. I mean, right now. And you have uh, not a lot of days left. You have until um, the end of the month, I believe, to sign up for that for that uh, discounted rate. And please come to the Churches for Life, um, equipping your church champion life life summit. I, I I'm going to be there for most of the day. And I hope to see you there. And so that uh, kind of concludes our our broadcast today. I want to continue this next week and help everybody to understand just all the tools that are at your disposal for um, reaching out to people in a life-affirming way. So this is True Life Fridays Radio, everybody. I wanted to thank Doug Murky for coming on the program so much uh, and to do it again. We will have you back on another time. Thank you so much. And, uh, guys, I will see you guys next week. Stay tuned for another TLFR. Good night.